First Thessalonians in the New Testament. First Thessalonians in the New Testament. The year was 1982, and in a place called Lawrenceville, Georgia, something remarkable happened. Um, a super mom uh, did an amazing feat. What had happened, uh, this lady, her name was Angela Cavello. Uh, she was just there in her house, doing normal things, going about her day. Her son, who was a teenager, was out, I think, in the driveway, and he was working on his car. It was a 1964 Chevy Impala for anyone who's interested in cars. And as he was under the car, working on the car, the jacks uh, slipped out from under the car and the car fell on top of him, knocking him unconscious. He's only a teenager, okay? His mom realized, Angela realized what had happened to her son, Tony. She runs out into the driveway and literally in that moment, she was able to lift the car up four inches off the ground just enough to lift it off her son. And she said the whole time she was praying, God help me, God help me. And she was able to hold that while an 11-year-old boy ran and got help. And some neighbors came and were able to uh, put the jacks back in place and drag Tony out from under that car. And really, if it weren't for that mother's intervention, Tony would not have survived. He would have died as that car rested on top of him, it would have killed him. You know, mothers are amazing, okay? Uh, you know, we, that's kind of a dramatic, superhuman feat of a mom, okay? Uh, but I think that's not the only amazing thing that moms do. Uh, the way that moms take care of kids day in, day out, a, a newborn baby. We have a, a newborn baby in our house. Um, my wife, just a month ago, uh, had a baby. And it is amazing to watch Heather in action as she takes care of Saoirse. Now, Saoirse needs a lot of care, okay? Uh, she needs to be taken care of 24-7, you know? Um, and, but it's amazing to see a mom in action. And I think not just those dramatic acts where a mom does something remarkable, but just the day in, day out, uh, taking care of kids. You know, almost everybody here owes their existence to the love and sacrifice of our mothers to bring us into this world and to take care of our physical needs. Isn't that true? If it wasn't for your mom, you wouldn't be here today, okay? And all of us have a great uh, debt of gratitude, I think we should have, to our mothers. Now, sadly, in the dangerous times of the last days, you know, the Bible talks about even mothers. Sometimes there will be mothers that lack that, that love for their children. But, you know, that is the exception rather than the rule, isn't it? Almost every mother I know, she cares about her kids and she does the best that she can for them. And moms love and sacrifice uh, for their children. The passage we want to look at today here in First Thessalonians and chapter 2 uses the analogy of a mother taking care of a baby to teach us something about taking care of people spiritually, about caring for people's spiritual needs. Now, I do have to say, I do thank God for my own mother. I thank God that I have a good mother 
um, who loves me and who took care of me um, in every conceivable way, okay? I, I don't know how she didn't kill me sometimes, okay? Uh, but I thank God for my mother that she loves me and that she's for me. And, you know, I'm the firstborn in our family, and I, I believe it's really it's true for all of my siblings. But my mom said when she found out that she was expecting me, it changed her life. She said it just changed the way she lived her life uh, in so many ways, totally changed her life. And uh, I know mom is probably watching online. I just want to say thank you, mom, uh, for your love. Thank you for being a good mother. Thank you for bringing me into this world and taking care of me and also for teaching me the word of God. That was a huge blessing uh, that I had. Now, and l let me just encourage you to take a minute to thank your mother for what she's done for you. I know uh, our moms are not perfect, okay? But our moms brought us into this world and took care of us in many ways. And I'd encourage you, take a minute, even pick up the phone, uh, recognize your mom and just thank her uh, for what she's done in your life. But as I said, we're going to look at a passage uh, that uses that picture of motherhood to teach us how to take care of people spiritually. The heart of a mother for her baby is astonishing. It's supernatural. God invented it. We can see that lady, Angela Cavello, she's doing something superhuman to take care of her child. And really, I think any mom would do that. If their life, child's life was in danger, they would do what they could to help. But... Let's read here in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to start in verse 7, and I'm going to read down through verse 9. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. It says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto, unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And let's trust God to speak to our hearts in the few minutes that we have together in his word and help us to understand this. This passage is talking about a mother taking care of a baby. Now, a little bit of background might help us to understand this. Paul is writing to some believers in a city called Thessalonica. I believe it's in Greece today. Okay, you can still go and visit that city. Okay, but in there in Thessalonica, um, Paul had gone there with Silas, and they had preached the gospel, and people had come to Christ. And you can read about it in Acts chapter seventeen. Um, but I'll give you the quick version. Okay, uh, Paul. Go, Paul and Silas go to the city of Thessalonica, and as Paul often did, they went first to the synagogue. That's where the Jews met together for the word of God to be read, the Old Testament, and to pray. Okay, And he goes there and he reasons with the people there meeting at the synagogue. Um, and basically he's reasoning from the, the scriptures and he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed of God. He's the one that has come to die for our sins and you need to believe on him. Okay, so he, he is uh, reasoning from the scriptures. And it says that many Greeks, and it, it specifically notes influential women of the city, were persuaded and they joined with Paul and Silas. Now, 
based on what we're going to look at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I don't know if they'd made the step to believe on Jesus yet. But at that point, they were interested and they wanted to hear more. At very least, we can say that. And so they were coming. They wanted uh, to hear the word of God explained. Well, the other Jews that were not persuaded stirred up some trouble. And they, uh, in fact, attacked the house of a man named Jason. He was one of the first believers in Thessalonica. And they attacked his house and there was great persecution. The Jews stirred up the, um, the Roman authorities. And in the end, Paul and Silas literally had to flee. They had to run for their lives out of Thessalonica. The believers that had just been saved maybe a few months ago were urging them, you need to, you need to leave here and go to the next place. So they go on to the city of Berea. But that's the background uh, to the book of Thessalon- Thessalonians. Paul is now, years later, he's writing to them. And in chapters 1 and 2, he recalls what it was like when he first came to Thessalonica and they began to preach the gospel, okay? And he says a lot of different things. He talks in chapter 1 about how remarkable their turning to Christ was, okay? I mean, they, they didn't just pray a prayer and then, you know, kind of half in, half out uh, live as Christians they followed Jesus with all their hearts. It says in chapter 1, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. I mean, it was a remarkable uh, change in their lives. Then in chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 6, it talks about how Paul and Silas, they preached the gospel with boldness. You know, there was no gimmicks here. It was straight up. They were teaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, from the word of God, and they were bold. They were not ashamed. Uh, they were clear, and they didn't use any trickery it talks about. They weren't uh, trying to con people into believing on Jesus, uh, like sometimes we see Christian movements so-called doing today. Uh, they were just preaching the word of God, and amazingly, people came to Christ, and lives were changed. But down in verse 7 through 9, which we just read, Paul explains the way they went about trying to help the people of Thessalonica spiritually. And I think this encompasses not only um, how they preached the gospel and how people came to Christ, but then the aftercare, after people had come to Christ, how Paul and Silas were teaching them how to follow Jesus. And it uses the analogy of a mother. Now, we're going to look at some things that will be very familiar uh, to anyone who knows, uh, you know, a mother or is a mother, okay? And how those can be such helpful analogies of how to take care of people spiritually. But before we look at that, let me just say this. All of us are called to be disciple makers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, God wants to use your life to impact other people. He wants to use your life. God wants to use each of us, not just certain people in the church of the living God. God wants to use every person who's a believer to lovingly and determinedly reach people with the good news of Jesus and then then to teach and help them to follow Jesus. That's not just something for some people. God can use all of us in that way. And let me just say this. Don't overlook the people that are already in your life. You know, many of you here today, you are already disciple-making. You are already trying to influence someone for Christ. 
You're already trying to help someone to follow Jesus. You know, um, sometimes it's, it's it, it, I, I sometimes can be tempted to think, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could reach some stranger with the gospel and they would get saved and their life would be transformed. But you know what? I have six little discipleship opportunities at home that are some of the best opportunities I will get. And it's my children, the opportunity to pour into them. So don't overlook people in your own life. Don't overlook people maybe that aren't, you're not related to, but that you already have influence in their life. People that look up to you. We all have people that we have an influence over. And God calls us to be disciple makers. And so Paul then explains how he was a disciple maker. And he uses again the picture of a mother. So notice what he says here in verse 7. He says, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Some have translated that word nurse as a nursing mother. Um, it's, it's speaking about a mother who is caring for a child. Notice, first of all, the first quality that we see, first of all, in the mother is that a mother's gentle. Mother's gentle. You think of a mother with a newborn baby. You know, we have a one month old at home. Uh, I'll tell you, I haven't tried it, but I don't think it would work for us to stand by the cot and say, now you be quiet and you go to sleep and stop moaning. You know, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, she's a baby. She needs to be cared for gently and that's exactly what a mother does they care for that uh, baby gen gently and so mothers are an, are an example of gentleness and Paul said that's exactly how we tr treated uh, those people that we were trying to help spiritually in Thessalonica we were gentle you know it's interesting in verse 6 um, he says nor of men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. You know, Paul didn't come in with a big brass badge that said apostle on it and said, you better do what I say. I'm an apostle. Do you see my badge? No, he came in very gently. He came in very humbly. You know, when you try to help people, sometimes they'll hurt you. Isn't that true? When you try to help people spiritually, sometimes they're hurting themselves and they can go after you. They're not going to treat you with deep respect and gratitude a lot of times. Sometimes it's a thankless task. And I think the idea of gentleness here is humble, unassuming, not, you know, beating your chest and demanding that people treat you a certain way. But if you're willing to be a servant, if you're willing to be gentle, like a mother treats a newborn baby, you can have an impact in people's lives. God can use you to help other people find Christ. God can use you to help those who found Christ to follow Jesus. So the first quality is to be gentle. Notice then it says uh, in verse 7, as a nurse cherisheth her children. Cherish is not a word that we use in everyday conversation. But cherish is, it is a loving term, but it has the idea of to take care of, to be concerned for. You know, it's amazing, it, whenever Saoirse cries, my wife's ears are open, you know, <laughs> she's listening. Why? Because is a baby, Saoirse needs her mommy. And to cherish is to take care of, to be concerned for. And, you know, it takes stepping outside ourselves and 
taking care of other people in order to help people spiritually. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. And that was one of the reasons why they had a big impact in Thessalonica was they were willing uh, to cherish those believers, to take care of them, to be concerned for them, to stop, you know, maybe focusing on themselves and say, I, I wonder what I can do to help this person to understand the gospel. I wonder what I can do to help this person who's just believed on Jesus to grow. Is there a way I can encourage them? Are there practical needs I can help with in their lives that will help them to move forward for Jesus? Okay? So to cherish. Then notice in verse 8, and verse 8 is, is powerful. We're, we're looking at verse 8 and then verse 9. But verse 8 says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. I want you to see, focus on three words that might have already jumped out at you in verse 8. Notice affectionately desirous, okay? The idea is that with love and affection to long for somebody, to, to want to be with them, to want to take care of them. That's the idea. And that's what Paul said. He said, just as a mother affectionately desires, longs for her baby, in the same way, um, we cared for you. You know, it's amazing when a mother goes through the very difficult, difficult thing of going through labor and bringing a baby into the world. Um, you know, I, I'm really, I, I really am glad that men don't have to bring babies into the world. Not because that means I don't have to do it, because I don't know if we could handle it, okay? I just don't know if we could handle it. It's really hard, you know. I've been through it with my wife. It's not the same thing, but I've tried to help my wife through it six times. Giving birth is so incredibly hard and difficult and painful, okay? And I'll just leave it at that, Okay. But it is really difficult. And the thing, you know, a lady literally risks her life to bring that baby into the world. But it's amazing to me when that baby is born, and uh, all, the, all the mothers in the room can identify with this, it's almost like the, you don't think so much about the pain and the labor. You're just glad to meet your baby, <laughs> you know. And it is amazing. Why? Because a, a mother is affectionately desirous for her child. She loves that baby. She wants that baby. She's longed to see that baby. And she is so excited uh, to meet the child. And that's the idea there, is that uh, Paul said, we were animated by love. Notice what, what it says there. It says, so being affectionately desired. That's connecting it back to verse 7. In the same way as a mother um, is gentle and you know, cherishes her newborn baby in the same way Paul said that's how we treated the believers that we were affectionately desirous of you he's writing to the believers in Thessalonica and notice it says we were willing do you know love makes us want to help people but when we are indifferent it's very hard to help anybody when we don't care but love makes us willing you know the, the idea of that word is that it's a pleasure you know Paul said because God's love was in our heart for you it was our pleasure to try to help you and he's going to talk about in verse 9 
You know, it was difficult, their ministry in Thessalonica. It was challenging. They endured persecution. They, got, they had no financial support in that town. Um, they literally worked, it seems that they worked, uh, you know, during the day, and then they did Bible studies at night. That's how they started the church in Thessalonica. That's how those believers were helped. It was challenging. But love made them want to do it. Love made Paul and Silas want to help people. And the love of a mother that is so powerful is an example to anyone who wants to help someone else spiritually that it starts with being affectionately desirous, that we care about people. And also the last uh, phrase there of verse 8, um, because you were dear unto us. They wanted to give, they, they were willing to give not only the gospel of God. It wasn't just like, here, I'm going to give you a gospel tract and now we're gone. They said, obviously recognizing that these people were persuaded, they were at least wanted to hear more. They said, we're going to do whatever it takes and it's our pleasure to do so. To teach you the word of God. To help you through this persecution as we looked at in, in Acts 17 and to follow Jesus. And I know I, I've talked a lot about that there. But it's such an important concept, okay? Um, the idea of being dear unto us, again, it's another term for love, that we loved you, okay? Now, let me just go off on a, a purposeful tangent here for a minute. This, I think, is maybe one of the most important, I think this is the most important quality of trying to help anyone, is that we love and care for people, okay? That we love and care for people. Love enabled Paul and Silas to reach the people at Thessalonica with the gospel. They wouldn't have bothered to go. But think of this. God's love for us is the motive behind the story of Jesus. The whole reason Jesus came, the whole reason God the Father sent his son Jesus into the world is because he cared deeply for you and for me. And he knew that if a payment wasn't paid for our sin, we would go out into eternity and we would have to end up in hell because that's what we deserve because of our sin. Man, that's... that's uh, sobering isn't it but that is what we deserve and yet God's love for us greater than the love even as amazing as the love of a mother greater than the love of any mother God loved you he loved me and he sent Jesus John three sixteen, that we know so well for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It started with love. You know, we can have all sorts of, uh, you know, ability and um, training and all sorts of real helps to helping people spiritually. But if we don't love people, we're not going to get very far. We are not going to get very far. And I believe that Paul was effective in Thessalonica and in other places because God had poured his love for unbelievers into Paul's heart. And he felt the way God feels about unbelievers. And he wanted to help them. You know, that's not in us. With, that is not in us. We need God's help. You know, we've been talking uh, in our church about being filled with the Spirit of God. About the Spirit of God helping us to live beyond what we can in our own strength. 
And I tell you, in trying to help other people spiritually, we need the Holy Spirit's help. We need Him to give us His love for people. Because guess what? We're selfish. It's so easy for us to be focused on ourselves. It's not easy for us to cherish other people, to be concerned for, to take care of other people. That is of God. Do you know what? Some of us, we have challenges in our own lives. We have enough to contend with in our own lives without trying to care for other people. And obviously, those things we need to uh, be concerned with as well. But it is, uh, it is supernatural. It is a work of God when we can step out our, aside ourselves and be concerned for God, uh, for, uh, on behalf of God, for other people. Listen to what Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 says. Paul again is writing uh, here in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. And it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was a Jew. He was an Israelite. And he said his heart and his desire was that his people would come to Christ, that they would be saved. What he's talking about is that they would believe on Jesus and be rescued from sin and hell and separation from God. But that was his heart's desire. Notice in one chapter before, in chapter 9, and verse 2 and 3, he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He was so burdened for his people that he said, I, I could actually wish that I was accursed from Christ, that I was not saved, that I was separated from Christ, so that my people could know Christ. That, was, that wasn't Paul's heart. That was God's heart. That was God's love poured into Paul's heart. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, we were affectionately desirous for you. You were dear unto us. So we were willing um, to give you not only the gospel of God, but our own souls. We were willing to pour our heart into trying to reach you with the gospel. Let me just say this as well, um, as an aside. You know, sometimes we, we can have the wrong idea uh, that witnessing to people is always a quick process, Okay. You basically explain some things from the Bible and the person says, oh yeah, I want to do that and they believe on Jesus. Now, sometimes it is. But mo most of the time, it is a longer process. People hear the gospel, they think about it, they hear it again. And it requires determination on the part of the Christian who's trying to help that person. It really does. Many of us owe our uh, the fact that we are saved to somebody who kept telling us the gospel, who kept praying for us and loving us, maybe over a long period of time. And you know what? Um, if we are animated by the love of God, we'll be willing to do that. We'll be willing to not just give the gospel, but to give our own souls, to put our heart into trying to reach people with the gospel. And I believe that if we had God's heart of love for unbelievers it would not be hard for us to do whatever is needed to reach them for Christ. I tell you, it's something I've prayed about again and again. Lord, pour your love for those who are not yet in Christ into my heart. Help me to see them the way you did. D.L. Moody is a name that we know. He was a famous evangelist and preacher back in the 1800s. But he was in London during one of 
his famous evangelistic tours. And several uh, British clergymen came and visited him. These were pastors and leaders of churches. And they wanted to know how and why this poorly educated American was so effective in winning throngs of people to Christ. And really he was. He did not have a college education. When he started out preaching, he literally could hardly read. He was not an educated man. And so you can imagine these uh, English clergymen probably have doctorates and you know, college degrees, and they just were amazed how so many people were believing on Jesus as this man preached. And so Moody took the three men to the window of his hotel room, and he asked each of them, in turn, to look out the window and then to tell him what they saw. And so one by one they did it, and they described, well, we see people in the park there beside the hotel, and they're walking around, and some are walking their dogs, and people are sitting there reading the newspaper. And he described this. Then Moody went to the window and he looked out. And when he turned around, there was tears rolling down Moody's cheeks. And I know you've heard this story before, but he said this. The, the clergyman asked him, what do you see? What do you see, Mr. Moody? He said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. There's a man who had God's love poured into his heart. And he saw unbelievers the way God does. And no wonder God could use his life in a remarkable way. I think that's a worthy prayer for us to pray. God, pour your love for unbelievers into my heart. Lord, help me to see them the way you do. And D.L. Moody saw people differently than the average observer does. And because he saw eternal souls, where other people only saw people walking in the park, Moody approached life with a different set of priorities, a different agenda, you know. Uh, there was a different uh, goal in his life uh, because of the way he saw people. And so, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's the key, being affectionately desirous, wanting, having a longing in our hearts to help people, uh, people being dear unto us, them being the objects of our love, caring about people. But notice what it says in verse 9, we're almost finished it says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Now notice what it says, the labor and travail. You know, trying to help people spiritually is hard work. It's hard work. It's not easy. It's hard work. And Paul and Silas and Perhaps others who helped during those months at Thessalonica. You know, he wasn't in Thessalonica very long. As far as we can tell, it was five or six months. It was not long, okay? And it was amazing what God did in that short time. But Paul was a tent maker by trade. And in Thessalonica, he was working, making tents and selling tents to meet his needs so he could live. And he was also uh, trying to preach the gospel, trying to teach the word of God. And you can imagine how difficult that was, how tired he was. But he did it. Why? Because the love of God was poured out in his heart. And notice the last thing there. It says, we preached unto you the gospel of God. You know, in the same way as a mother gives her baby what they need to grow. You know, it's amazing. A mother's body will sometimes... Uh, the, the body will go without what the mother needs 
to take care of that baby, to produce the milk for the baby. It's amazing. But a mother will, will take care of that baby selflessly. Um, and it's an amazing thing. But you know, when we are helping people spiritually, we need to give them the milk they need most, and it's the good news about Jesus. Okay? Make no mistake, there's many ways that we can and should help people. But people need the good news about Jesus. They need to understand who Jesus is, what he came, what he did, and how he can save us and make a difference in our lives. And we've looked at a lot really this morning in in a short time. But I hope that you can see, number one, how awesome moms are, okay? (laughs) It's not easy. But it's amazing to me how awesome a mother is. And I do stand in awe after preparing this message and watching my wife, I have to say, um, as we have a new baby in our house. Um, It just is amazing to me. And the thought came to me as I was preparing. You know, as as a church, as we are praying for revival, you know, what would we do if God poured out His Spirit this week and many new people came to Christ? The fact is, God can do it. Sometimes we're praying about something and we really don't believe God's going to do it. God could do it. God could pour out His Spirit and we could see new people coming into the church, being born again. But the thing is, we'd have a load of young believers that would need help and encouragement. And not just from pastor or staff. That's an important role in our church. But we would all have to step up. And try to love those believers and care for them. And you know, it's all right and fine praying for revival. But if we really believe that God is going to do it, I think we should prepare ourselves and our lives to mentor new believers. You know, I remember years ago in Arklo, we were praying, Lord, save new people. Lord, save new people. And the Lord laid it on our hearts, do some training uh, as a church so that you're ready to teach new believers how to follow Jesus. And we did the training by faith. And do you know what? By the time we were finished the training, some new people had come to Christ. And we were able to help them grow in Jesus. Because, you know, sometimes faith is not just praying, but it's believing God's going to do something. And if you believe revival is coming, let me encourage you, take what we've looked at this morning to heart. Search your own heart. Say, Lord, do I have your heart for unbelievers? Would I help someone to find Jesus who was interested, who was open? Would I help someone who had just believed on Jesus to grow and to begin to follow Jesus, to teach them the basics? Because don't underestimate the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you. God can use you. Perhaps beyond what you could imagine or envision, God can use you. And also in the relationships that we all, the discipleship relationships we're already in with our children, with those we have an influence in their lives, people that look to us. Let's say, Lord, pour your heart for these people into me. Lord, help me to love them the way that you love them. And God can use our lives in that way. So how do we respond um, to what we've heard this morning? Well, first of all, let me say, if you've never given in to God's love and put your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to do that today. This is not really primarily a gospel message. 
But if God has spoken to your heart, whether you're here in person or you're watching on the live stream, God's love in Christ Jesus, the love that God the Father showed in sending Jesus to die for us, is the greatest love that ever has been. And God loves you. And our tendency is we want to do it ourselves. We want to be good people and we want to be deserving of heaven. But God says, no. God says, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's an act of God's mercy. And if you've never surrendered to God's love, today, today would be a great day to do that. To come to God and say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me when you died. And, you know, if we can at all help, you know, Pastor said last week, you know, our church is, any church is the pillar and ground of the truth. A church exists to hold up the word of God and to teach it. And if you want help, please come to me afterwards and I will put you with somebody who can explain to you, even just take a few minutes and explain to you what it means to put your faith in Jesus and also answer any questions that you might have. Now, we don't know where the center of the universe is, okay? So we can't help you with that, okay? That was a joke, all right? But we can help you from the Bible to know how to uh, accept Jesus Christ, to believe on him and to know you're forgiven. You know, if you've already believed on Jesus, but you've never really thought of yourself as a disciple maker, let me challenge you to submit to Jesus in that role, in that work today, and say, Jesus, I'll be a disciple maker. If you're a believer and you're growing in Jesus, God can use you in some way. He can use you in some way. You might say, oh, I need to grow. Let me challenge you. Work on those things. But try to help someone even while you're working on those things. Try to share what Jesus has done in your life so far, how you came to Christ. Try to encourage others to follow Jesus. God can use your life. And really it starts as recognizing I am a disciple maker. God, when God, when Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 28, go ye into all the world and teach, uh, preach the gospel and I will be with you always. He was speaking to you. It wasn't just some people in the church of God. It was all of us and God wants to use us. And wherever you are at your journey, on your journey as a disciple maker, uh, maybe you're, you're just surrendering to, to you know you're just getting your head around that concept now saying i can be a disciple maker god can use me to help other people come to christ or maybe you've been at it for years and god has used you in other people's lives already but wherever you are at in that journey as a disciple maker will you ask god to pour his love into your heart i know i need that i think we continually need god afresh and anew to pour his love into our hearts for those who need Christ. And so we're gonna, I'm going to have Kirstine come, and she's going to play a few verses. And we're just going to take a, a quiet minute. And whatever your need is, will you respond to God? Will you talk to him in your hearts? And then we'll close by singing the song.